0: Welcome to another episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and this week, if you celebrate, it is Christmas week, and so my team and I are taking the week off from an episode. I know you guys don't see what goes on behind the scenes of producing, editing, and getting podcast episodes live on the air, but it is quite a bit of work, and so around the holidays we like to take a little breather and give you guys the opportunity to listen to an episode that you may not have listened to before, or re-listen to some of our favorites, because I know... I listen to some podcasts multiple times to just get inspired or remember what they said because I forget. And I want to give you guys the opportunity to listen to one of my favorite episodes with this amazing woman by the name of Judy. And Judy is a fashionista who is 76 years old. Well she was at the time of of recording, so let's say I have to do the math. Uh, By now she'd be 77 or 78 and Judy Carp worked in the fashion industry since the 60s back in Manhattan and she and I met randomly through an art class here in Denver, and she came over to my house, and we did the interview in person, which I don't do often because most people don't live in Denver to do these interviews. And just the energy behind the interview and her story is so fascinating and inspiring and just fun. And I thought around the holidays it could be really, really awesome to listen to, just a fun, lighthearted interview and hear some cool stories of what it was like working in the fashion industry in the 60s before email, before cell phones, before all the technology that we know today, what it was like. And New York and Manhattan were such a different place than they are now, Um, pre-COVID and post-COVID. You know, the world is changing so rapidly right now. But I really think that you're going to find some inspiration and just some joy in listening to Judy's story and hearing what her journey was like working in the industry way back. So let's dive into Judy's episode. If you're celebrating this week, have a very Merry Christmas. And thanks for giving my team and I the week off. And we will talk to you guys soon. Enjoy the episode with Judy. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. Welcome to another episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and I am so, so, so excited to have you here for this amazing interview. This is a really fun and slightly different show that we have for you today than usual. Today I'm chatting with this amazing woman. Her name is Judy Carp. And I met her here locally in Denver. We talk a little bit about that in the interview, so I won't spoil any of the surprises. But Judy is this amazing, glowing woman. She refers to herself as a, air quote, old lady. Um, And she worked in the industry way back in the 60s and the 70s in New York. And she has so many fun, inspiring, awesome stories of what it was like back then, what her journey through fashion was in a time before, well, at least before I even existed. I don't know, some of you out there I think are of this age as well, so maybe it'll be a fun flashback to listen to Judy's story. I also want to tell you, I give you a heads up about this in the beginning of the interview, but we are doing this on-site in my living room here in Denver, and my amazing little Welsh terrier by the name of Lana, I don't know if you have a terrier or if you've ever been around them, she's only a two-year-old puppy, and she doesn't bark, but she is there. So if you Hear some tip tapping around. She was really excited that we had a guest over at the house and we were sitting in the living room hanging out with her, chatting, and she really wanted to be part of the show. Uh, I do break at about halfway through and give her a bully stick. So if you hear a little teeny crunching in the background, that is little Lana chewing away and enjoying some time with the ladies, gabbing away. All right, so Before we jump into the interview, as always, I want to remind you guys, thank you so much for listening to this show, and I want to let you know something. This podcast, the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, is powered by you. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but we have been on the air now for just about two years, which is super exciting, and I am super proud to say that we have never had any ads, no affiliates, no promotions, no nothing on the show. This was something that I have always stood really strongly by. I just didn't want to put ads in the show. If you listen to other podcasts, you always hear this is sponsored by, this is brought to you by, or people are dropping affiliate links. And I just, I never wanted to do that with the show, which is why the podcast is powered by you. So, if you want to help power the podcast even more, here's all that I ask you to do subscribe in iTunes and leave a review. That's it. I'm not asking you for any money or anything. I just want to help, want your help with a review because the more reviews, the more listeners out there gain access to the show and get all the amazing industry advice and insights that we share with all the wonderful guests. So if you enjoy the podcast, hop into iTunes and leave us a review and help power the Successful Fashion Designer podcast. We appreciate it so, so, so much. Uh, You can do that anytime by going to sfdnetwork.com slash review, or you can just scroll down if you're listening on iTunes right now. Uh, I do, if you've listened before, give shout outs to people who leave reviews on the air. So I would love to do that for you. Today, I will give a quick shout out to Dana, never a wallflower. Dana says, the amount of not. Knowledge coming out of the show is incredible from sourcing to production. I learned something new every week that helps me grow my business Thank you. Well, thank you Dana. I really appreciate your review So if you would like a shout out on the air and you enjoy the show help power this podcast and leave us an iTunes review As always you can access the show notes by scrolling down wherever you're listening and in the meantime Let's jump into the interview with my guest today the lovely and one-of-a-kind amazingly unique woman Judy Carp. Um, well, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so Thank excited you. to have you here. And I just want to kind of set the stage really fast because we're sitting here in my living room doing an in-person interview, which I don't get to do super often, so that feels really fun. Um, and yeah, why don't you start out by introducing yourself and letting us know what's your quick fashion story, and then we'll dig all into that.
1: Um, my name is Judy Carp, and I went to school in the 60s and was always interested in art and never really thought of it as a career till it became time for college. And my college uh, counselor suggested, well, what do you want to do? What do you want to major in college? And it was like, I don't know. And I was always interested in art. And I think I took some kind of a thing and showed art was definitely my preference. So I went to art school. So I said, well, let's go to art school. And he handed me this brochure for a school in St. Louis called Washington University, which is really well known now. In those days, it really wasn't. I always said, I think they took anybody from out of state. It was like the (laughs) the year I went was the first year they had built dorms. So they were really a local St. Louis school and the they had I saw their brochure and they had a course in fashion design and I said oh, I really think that's interesting. I lived in Chicago. I used to go to the Art Institute, and I actually took, like, fashion sketching classes. And Mm -hmm. I, of course, in those days, we all did. I knew how to sew and enjoy that. So I said, well, maybe I'll apply there. And if I don't get in, my alternative was to go to downstate Illinois and become an art teacher. Okay. So that's sort of how I backed into fashion and the reason st louis washington university in st louis had an art school and they had a fashion design curriculum because in those years there was a there was junior fashion and which it doesn't exist anymore now Oh uh, yeah. but what is that junior fashion in those years it was three five seven nine eleven sizes you know, two oh, four, six, eight, ten, twelve junior sizing sizing okay, gotcha. but it was called junior fashion. Yeah. And all the way actually even into my career into the seventies and eighties, there were houses that specialized in junior fashion. So St. Louis uh, had a company called Thermojack, which might be around at Walmart these days. I think about ten years ago I saw Thermojack at Walmart. Okay. Coordinated sportswear, which probably today nobody even knows what that is. Like you would design a group of pick a fabric, a matching sweater fabric, a matching t shirt fabric, and you would design uh, things that coordinated. So somebody could buy a skirt, a pant, a jacket, and they just have a whole little outfit. Like Garanimal style? I don't even know what geranimal style oh, is. Oh, I
0: think it's something kind of like that that they did for kids. Uh, yeah. Where the parents, like, if maybe it's the dad or the mom, they didn't really know, like, what actually goes together, and they had them, like, color-coded on the tags. It was like, okay, well, these, you can mix and match this. Right, right. So it sounds kind it of was similar. Sort of, a,
1: but you would do coordinated fashion groups. I mean, this was well into the 70s and okay. 80s. People would do groups of fashion. Buyers, Macy's or Bloomingdale's, may only buy a few pieces, but you had the ability to take certain pieces depending on the buyers of the people who would shop in those stores. They would put things together like that. So anyway, um, I got off track. I jumped ahead. So I went, uh, so they also, St. Louis also was the beginning of shoe business, the Brown Shoe Company, oh. which was one of the big, big shoe companies, also was located in St. Louis. So that's why Washington University, in their art school, had a fashion design curriculum. Oh, okay. So that's what I did. And I went. I finished four years there. And in those days, too, there weren't a lot of options for learning fashion design. There was a school on the West Coast that I'm completely spacing out the name.
0: Was I, it... Not fit them? Did they no.
1: exist back then? No, no, I can't. There was a school in actually Missouri, like where Missouri State, Missou, was. Okay, there was fashion design curriculum. There was FIT, which FIT was nothing. It was a two-year little course. It wasn't, I think, the school it is today. Okay, gotcha. And then uh, RISD, Rhode yeah, Island Rhode School Island's of Design, clothing. also yeah. had it. But so anyway, those were your choices, and I picked St. Louis because I still wasn't. Am I going to be a fashion designer? It wasn't. I thought I would go to, um, I wasn't sure if I was going to do it, so I would get a BFA, I would take academics, and if for some reason I wasn't interested in that, I would go on to a regular, I could do a regular school curriculum. So anyway, so that's how I started, and when I finished, I actually, I was from Chicago, and I wasn't ready to leave home, so I went up, I went in Chicago and I got a job designing for Form Fit Rogers. I think there must have been a lot of uh, undergarment companies in Chicago, because okay. I think there was a few. I got a job for Form Fit Rogers, and I worked there for the summer, and basically hated living at home after being away from home for four years. Yeah, And uh, I, a lot of my friends, and we had a very, by the time we graduated, there was 13 of us. And I would say over half of them had gone on to New York, and were working in different jobs. Okay. So it was like, you know what? All my friends are in New York. I have family in New York. I'm moving to New York, and uh, I actually, when I told them at Form Fit Rogers, they said, "Well, you know, we have a design studio in New York, so you could go there and work for them." And I said, "Well, that would be great because I don't. Then I'll have a job, you yeah. know, because I mean, New York didn't cost anywhere near what it costs today, <laughs> but it was still, you know, in it's those dollars, expensive. Yeah. So I packed up my Volkswagen, drove to New York, uh, found somebody to live with. Uh, I lived in the Greenwich Village, and I worked for FormFit Rogers for a couple months, and then I got a job for a company called Smart Tea. S M okay, like A R T E E. Okay, like a t shirt. It was a t shirt company, but it what it was, it was a knitwear factory on University Avenue between on between Univer on uh, Twelfth Street between University and Broadway. Okay. Which is near Fourteenth Street. Yes, yes, Union, Union Square. State. Yeah, you know yeah, that yeah, okay, so, yeah. and it was a factory. Now today it's probably fancy lofts. But yeah. in those days, it was a factory. And
0: so where are we at? Like, late 60s, it early was, 70s? I,
1: I graduated school in 64, so this was 65. Oh, okay, mid-60s. Yeah, so yeah. still in the 60s. Oh, wow. Yeah, definitely in the 60s. and Factories right there in the Heart of Union Square. Factories right uh. in the Heart of Union Square. I would, and I lived on West 4th Street in Greenwich, in Greenwich Village.
0: Greenwich Village. Oh, my gosh. And I
1: could walk. So I walked to work every day. Oh. And... Um, I remember this old, old guy, you know, uh, probably very, he was always very nicely tailored. Today he would be a dirty old man, he'd be from the <laughs> Me Too movement, everybody be against him. But he, I remember he hired me and I remember I was so proud of my little book from school. It was all the designs I had done during school yeah, and I- your portfolio. My portfolio. Yeah. And I presented to him and he goes, eh, you know, you got a job, you can be the designer's assistant. Well, what Smarty started doing, and nobody did at the time, was T-shirts. Yeah. And there were no T-shirts other than men would wear undershirts. Okay. And w- women did not wear T-shirts. Right. There, I don't think there were even polos. It was well, all
0: like blouses or dresses right. or something were no t- a bit more formal. Yeah. And he
1: had like uh, knitwear, double knits. Double knits is like the heavy, the real, you, you see it today, but in those days they were like heavy wool or wool and polyester. Your polyester was just coming into being. Yeah. And he had all these t-shirt machines and he started to stripe t-shirts. And it was like, we were in the cover of Vogue. We were in Harper. Every all the heads of Deanna Vreeland and everybody would come to see our line of T-shirts. I was just an assistant, you know. So what, I, what were some of the tasks you were doing? Do you remember cutting T-shirts out? I would help design my t- the designer. The head designer would say, "Here's some stripe. Make make a T-shirt. You know, okay. make something like that." And you'd make a bunch. And sometimes she'd pick yours. Sometimes she'd pick somebody else. Were you
0: cutting and sewing samples? I at wasn't SRS? sewing. No, people oh, sewed. We okay. would bring it,
1: then we would bring it down to the floor of the factory yeah. and they would, they had the overlock machines and yeah. they would sew the t-shirts. Yeah. But I mean, really started the fashion t-shirt trend. So cool. I mean, you were right there at the heart of it. There at the very beginning of it before people, you know, even wore t-shirts yeah. outside of, I mean, you'd wear t-shirts to the beach, but nobody would dress that way to work.
0: <laughs> but now you started making these like fashionable t-shirts right, right. with different stripes and patterns and
1: yeah yeah and you know, thing. yeah I just always you know it was it was you know and I did that for about 4 or 5 years and yeah. you know I could have stayed there forever and been an assistant but of course I wanted to be a designer yeah it, you know, on my own and went to a couple I can't I really can't even remember where I went just different places in the garment center um I'm trying to think. My second, my se- I worked for a company called Crazy Horse, which was a very big name in junior sportswear. Okay, you know, and f- some famous designers. and I can't remember their name now. They were you know uh, of ready wear. I never designed collections or worked for any high end places. Okay, and it basically was going from job to job. Uh, I had one job for a company that just did pants, and we did pants, and actually. It was in the year of Twiggy, and I remember designing these pants, and I called them stovepipe pants, and they had, uh, instead of, you know, your inseam and your outseam, there were four seams, so they looked square.
0: Oh. And they had these
1: big grommets on it, and I remember, you know, and Women's Wear Daily would come into your, you know, d- certain design studios if they knew the name, and they'd look at your stuff, and they put it, so that was always a big coup. And, you know, a lot of, so I think by the time, after I left Smarty, I had many, many jobs for many different people being a designer. Some were nicer lines, better lines. Uh, some were lines that did stuff primarily for the chains. I mean, that was big for Sears and Macy's, not Sears and Macy's, Sears and JCPenney, mm-hmm. Um there was big, big catalog business. Yep. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And you know, I remember my friends and I; they were all working different va- facets of the garment center and different people. So we would always have lunch, and in those days, you know, there were the little kosher restaurants that had, you know, or the corn—you go for a corned beef for l- sandwich for lunch, yeah. or some matzo balls—and the old guys would say, "This is what you have. This is what you don't have." Yeah. I mean, it was just—and you know, people. The garment center was filled with the dollies, people rushing fabric all over. Yeah. You know, it was very, very crowded crowded um and it was it was exciting it was a different time you know yeah. and for many years i did that and then i went to uh, i worked for a company that had a mill in south carolina okay south carolina yeah south carolina so i would go down there you still stayed in new york i was you, always in new york but they, but they, they, had, of, they had they had a factory in okay. a, a mill down there so gotcha. i worked for them for a number of years, and I always remember, and I think I told you this story before, There was so many, one day my boss came to me and said, we can send your sketches down. You don't. We don't have to mail them. We have this new machine. It took all night to send a dozen sketches by fax. I mean, you know, he yeah. was so excited about it. Of course, he had to squeeze me in between the orders because that was more important than my sketches. Order,
0: sketch. Right. Yeah. So they could
1: send them overnight, you know. I mean, so it, there were... I don't think there were computers. I think there were computers that they put orders into. Okay. But it was old-fashioned stuff. I mean, I didn't have a computer design. Everything was sketched by hand. Right.
0: Yeah, and I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the process because, like, we now live in a digital world where, you know, one of the main things that I I provide support for to my listeners and my audience is Adobe Illustrator. Right. uh,
1: There was no Adobe Illustrator.
0: And, I mean, you now (laughs) are like, okay, wow, we got the fax machine. We got to, like... We could. We didn't have to mail it. It could go overnight. It could so, do color. Yeah, I would love to just, he, just to get a vision of like what it was like back before technology. I mean, I think yeah. we take this so for granted, right? We have email. We want instant response. We can sketch this in Illustrator. We can do twenty different colorways with the push of a button. Um, create repeating patterns. All this stuff, and like it was well, so different. Oh, I well, to hear even about like
1: this. when I was designing, I would be buying fabric, and you'd go to these print. Places, you know, basically more more with prints, but even like plaid combinations and stripe combinations, and you would go to a place and you'd see a design, and say, oh, I really like that. What would it look like in these colors? And the designer there had to go and hand color it, had had to redo it, and. Hand painted again. There was no you couldn't just touch it with the computer and change the colors like you can now. Pantone existed back then. Pantone. There was Pantone was big. In fact, I would always go beginning of the season, and you would go to Pantone to see the color direction. Yeah. You know, the Cotton console had a big one. Monsanto had a big color. You know, and that's where you know, and I think it's still true today when you see a, a lot a season like fall spring. Gee, how does everybody have that color of pink or right, that color right, right. of blue? Yeah. And it was really Pantone. would start with Pantone and then the big consoles, the Cotton Console in Monsanto and I can't even think of the others. A color. I think it was a color console. You would go there and they would say, these are the colors that are that people are looking at, uh-huh. which they really got from like automobiles
0: Yeah. that
1: you know started with that because they worked from, so like, many years in advance. Yep.
0: So. car industry.
1: I mean, still today we pull stuff from the car industry. Right, right. Yeah.
0: So, anyway, so. So, did you guys have, like, the Pantone markers? I know I saw those, like, for a minute in the very early stages of my career. I probably all, did. We had the whole set with
1: I the think numbers. we did, Okay. Yeah. But, um, so, even, like, in school, you learn no technology. No. You learn fashion illustration. You learn textiles. I mean, it was all about sketching. that's the way you presented your ideas as a sketch, had the pattern made or draped it and made a garment. There was no way to see what it would look like. You know, you'd have a piece of fabric and you'd pin it on the, maybe you do a group of like 10 different items, you know, pants and shirts and skirts and sweaters, and you just do sketches of them all. And this is the fabric that the base fabric of the group. And maybe there'd be two base fabrics. Maybe there'd be cotton and a corduroy and then a plaid shirt and maybe a striped sweater and a print blouse, you know, and you'd have to coordinate all these different manufacturers to get it, but you had no way, uh, you'd have to get a swatch. Like if you found a print you'd like, you say, oh, I love those colors. I'm going to do a group in those colors. You So you'd find, so you'd get a swatch of the fabric and you'd give the man who made the solid fabric a swatch. This is the red I want you to do. And this is the, you know. There was a lot of work. It wasn't as easy. You couldn't, and you couldn't just send it overnight. Then you'd have to get it done. And then, uh, if the mill was up in the in Massachusetts or Connecticut, where a lot were, you'd have to get the fabric out. You'd have to get the swatch up there. They'd have to dye it. They'd either bring it down back down to New York for you to approve the color, or you'd have to go up there as they were printing. And you'd almost a lot of times I would go up there when they were printing something to make sure that the color was coming out right. Which yeah. Was just be, you know, much easier than sending it to China, but right. <laughs> where today you would. Right. Because at the end of my career, I did work for a company. We did a lot of manufacturing in Hong Kong, Taiwan, and Korea. Okay. It was actually before people manufactured in China or Vietnam or any of those places. Okay. So. Gotcha. But everything was done by a sketch and a coordinating fabric. There was no way to do anything except by hand. I mean, it wasn't until the very end where some of the big print companies were able to say, here's this print, now we can change the colors. And they, were, they had the ability to do it on a computer. But it wasn't normal. I mean, I can't even remember. It wasn't, I don't think I ever sketched anything on a computer. Yeah. In How long the, were you in the industry until? When did you retire? Let's see, I worked in New York till 19... 19- Let's see, I moved here in 79. So I worked in New York to 78. Okay. And my last job, and, and one of the reasons my husband and I left New York, was I was working for a company that was based in California. Okay. And I ran their design studio. Out of New in York. In New York. Okay. And they had a $90 million business with two salesmen. Wow. And a bunch of little girls who did everything And this else. is $90 million in the late 70s. In 19, they are like 75. I worked for them Amid. to about 75 seven, to about 78. That's very substantial. Yeah. Oh, it was yeah. huge. <laughs> they were the biggest, again, junior sports were oh, manufacturing yeah. in the country. Yeah. That Macy's and everybody bought from them. Yeah. You know, they were sort of the basis of everybody's line. Yeah. Of, of coordinates. So I did a lot of, I, most of my job there wasn't as much designing as working with, because in those days, everybody was still in New York and we would you know the the hard fabrics the jeans the pants the knits were mostly in new york the print shirts sometimes we would buy a lot in new york we would also make a lot in, in overseas like we do we sort of were a balance you'd take something from somebody and you'd buy a bunch of yardage from them but then you'd take something else they did and maybe manufacture it overseas yeah so we and that was the first that was really the mo- only time I worked for somebody who manufactured overseas.
0: Okay. Most
1: every, all the other companies prior to that were really manufactured here, in, in, usually in the South.
0: Yeah, in Carolinas. Yeah. 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 Okay. So
1: that was, um, and it wasn't, so I'd worked for, so that was about 79, I moved here. To Denver. To Denver. Yeah. And I don't know what the name of the company was. I almost moved right away down to Albuquerque. There was some manufacturer, clothing manufacturer down there. Okay. Regular clothing. It wasn't like Western clothing. Yeah. And uh, but I drove to Albuquerque and came right home <laughs> back to Denver. It was I wasn't for me. <laughs> and then I got a job working for um, a Western shirt manufacturer. Yeah. And it was called Carmen Western Wear. I think they might still be around. They were on Wazi Street.
0: Okay, in downtown Denver. Downtown Denver. Yeah. They had
1: Two or three factories there.
0: Wow! On Wazi
1: Street that are all now fancy lofts. Fancy lofts again. Right, and we would hang out at the Wazi supper club all the time after yeah. work because it was just down the block. And you'd walk over to Larimer, and there was nothing on Larimer Square. There was nothing between Wazi Street and Larimer Square,
0: which is now like super like right like. Awesome. Loads. restaurants.
1: Very premium real estate. Very premium, uh, expensive lofts. Yes, yeah. there was no Coors Field. You know, yeah, there was just you actually didn't venture north of Sixteenth Street because it was very very dicey. Yeah, there was you know a few bars there and a lot of homeless people.
0: And so you guys were doing all the production right there, we were yourselves, man- no, or a lot you of did some overseas? Being, a lot of
1: it was being manufactured in factories down south. Uh, some of it, was, there wasn't too much being manufactured in uh, the warehouses. There was some. Okay. A lot of it was, man- some of it was manufactured overseas. It depended on the shirts. The embroidery stuff, I think, was all done overseas. Okay. We designed all these shirts. And it was yeah. just basically about picking different Western yokes and, and snaps. I and mean, the, the plaids. The, the plaids. And, the yeah. highlight was that it was when the movie Urban Cowboy with John Travolta. Okay. And they picked like all the shirts I had done that pr- from the previous season for Urban Cowboy. They did, how so cool is that? That was cute, I mean, that was exciting. That yeah, was to get your, were, did John Travolta wear any of those? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. So, and they actually, and I think, A lot of people that... Western wear was really hot then, even in New York. So everybody was... They did a fabulous job. Everybody was buying Western wear. So this is in
0: like the early 80s-ish? Yeah. Okay. Because I
1: moved here in... 79, you said. 79. I moved here in 79. So it was in the early 80s. Okay. And I I had a few like freelance stuff that I was doing for people in California and actually my old company that had the mill in North Carolina. And um, I did that. And then I finally... The money was like half of what i was making in new york Mm. which is nothing compared to what you would make today and you know they want they expect me to come in on saturday and sundays and i said i'm not doing this it's always been this way like 80 hour work weeks not paying you that much and then i went to a uh so i did that and i finally i quit that and i worked in an art gallery okay and then somebody i don't know where they got my name but op ocean pacific ocean children's pacific. wear yeah the guy who had the license to manufacture that yep. was here in denver yeah and he had originally used to design aspen skiwear okay and uh then he got into the children's wear business and he had a factory out on 48th street here and denver. i did children's swimsuits and sweaters and t-shirts and then I had my daughter. Did some freelancing with him? No, no, I you, worked for them. Oh, you did, you know, yeah. for about three or four years. Okay. You know, designing a lot of children's wear, going to meetings in California. Yeah. I think once I went to um, Portugal, we were manufacturing sweaters in Portugal. Okay. But it, that, I think they did, I really can't remember, I think they, most of the stuff was done in California. Okay. But we had the licensee for the for children's the OP wear. For the children's. So, so and uh, that was, a, and so that was, let's see, my daughter was born in 86, So that's when I stopped, about 1985. Okay. And even in the days of, like, the children's wear, I don't think we designed things on the computer. We still didn't design things on the computer. It's still have a hand. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, there was probably a lot more of, I don't know if Adobe was, when did you? Well, boy, when did Adobe even start?
0: Uh, That's a good question. I mean, I started using it in 2000. It and probably wasn't too It much was, m- I, I want to say, like, early
1: 90s, maybe, at maybe. the most. I'm trying to think. My daughter was born in 86. i have to look this up now. I should know this. And I didn't have a computer till she was, like, in kindergarten. Okay. So, so that 90s. would have been 90s. So, I, I mean, there was I, there was more computers being used probably in the 80s, yeah. but not to... the
0: Not like the average home wouldn't have one. No,
1: no. Yeah. I mean, people did. I mean, I wasn't an early computer user, so I would say probably... In the 80s, people yeah. started using it more and more. Yeah. You know, but it was the old apple and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, not what... The black know.
0: screen with the green right.
1: writing. So I don't. I never even got a chance to do anything digitally.
0: Yeah. Other
1: than send my faxes down to North <laughs> Carolina. <laughs>
0: and they would take all night to get there. <laughs> right, right. And sometimes, in black and white.
1: Right, in black and white. And sometimes I wasn't the priority. There was no way to do color at all. Yeah. If I remember correctly. So anything color, you would have to physically mail. Physically mail or color in and... I mean, you would have to get swatches. You know, you go to the color console and get the colors you wanted, and send them down to the mill so they could start getting the yarn. And, and you know, it was a, it was very difficult to control things, especially in those days when I was doing it. It was all coordinated. So you know, your the the brown in your pants, if you were doing some brown in your sweater, you had to get those colors working. You couldn't yeah. just you know.
0: Well, we do still I mean, it depends on the brand, but some some brands still present as a collection, and you but do... it's
1: usually they're using the same fabrics in a variety of outfits, not necessarily meant to wear with a vest with the skirt. correct. not necessarily meant to
0: wear together, Vets. but Oftentimes, it might be merchandised together. Well, cause and so it Because
1: somebody yeah. says, oh, I want a dress. No, I'd rather have and a And so skirt. the
0: red and the knit <coughs> and the red and the woven, like, it's still, I mean, I have fought through some tough colors in lab dips. Oh. Because oh. you're like, okay, well, now the whole thing has to sit together and you've got your knit and your woven and your polyester and your cotton and this all and has to. And they don't want to take the And this the dye one's kind of same. pinkish. This one's kind of blue. Yeah. Right. It right. can be a
1: fight. Yeah. It was a whole different thing. Yeah. But so it was really, you know, a very different time and much more labor intensive. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't and it wasn't as creative. Why do you say that? I mean, it was creative in a different way. I don't think it was you didn't have people weren't as adventurous as they are now. Okay. like you like, you know, I was always getting here. We have one hundred thousand yards of green corduroy. I need you to do something with it. We need to sell it. That happens today, though. Like, I've been in a situation <laughs> like that. Don't get me wrong. Okay. <laughs> um,
0: you know, I think it can depend on, like, the brand that you're working for, like, what type of liberties you get to take versus, like, oh, we have got all this leftover yardage, or we just need to figure out a way to consume this.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and there weren't also as many uh, designer options at different levels. You know, you either had the high-expensive... Uh, Stuff from Paris and a few American designers. I mean, I think when I started, Calvin Klein was fairly new, and uh, Liz Claiborne was just starting. I remember she was in the same 1440 or 1400. Oh, right in Union Square there with you guys. No, no, 1444 on Broadway. That's where all. The manufacturers had their showrooms. Oh, right, right, right. 1440. And sometimes some of the companies I worked for, the, sh- the designer studio would be on in 1440 or 1400, yeah. you know, where everybody works. So, yeah. you know, Liz Claiborne worked over there right. and um, just, you know, some, there, there weren't as many recognized names. Fashion, fashion brands. Names. Yeah. You know, now we have so many affordable, better clothing lines. In those days, it was the unaffordable clothing line for most people and your knockoff coordinates that um, the, that was more the level I was at, you know, very very affordable groups of things. There weren't as many high-end type of things. You know, Miss Small, you know, I'm thinking of Vince and uh, Pierce and all the people that, you know, You, I tend to go to and I buy now. Yeah. They weren't. That wasn't
0: really such a category back then. There was
1: a few things. But not as much as we have now. Yeah, I mean, you didn't have that upper level of nice fashion sportswear. Yeah. And there were no, uh, there's no activewear right i mean which that's is our whole, life
0: uh, i know well we're both happy to be wearing jeans right now right, but right. i'm usually in like something way more like oh leggings. me too yeah. yeah
1: usually i've gone to, I, today i don't have yoga i have yoga tomorrow i, oh. I wear my yoga pants all day me
0: too you know, you know, Yeah. I put
1: a, sometimes okay i'm not i don't want to go with that i'll put a shirt over or something like <laughs> it.
0: and people i know we live in athleisure right it's a completely different world i mean even and back then you were you were making t-shirts and that was progressive that, that was that's so pro-
1: wild to me yeah they they just i mean as i said it was a Oh, where would you wear that? They'd only people to only wear it in the summer to the beach. Right. Nobody would go you down in Manhattan. I yeah. mean, I I dressed in gloves and suits, like fully and heels outfitted, and stockings every day. Yeah, you know, I the way people dress today, you know, which is fine. I mean, I'm fine, and that's how I dress. You wouldn't see that.
0: Yeah. Um, you mentioned. Uh, you were doing these like knockoff and I don't know how you meant that term but I I actually did want to ask you this question Um, so uh, maybe ironic that it came up naturally Um, what did you see in terms of like how much were you like Oh, let's just make it like this brand, and like let's change it, or like let, like there's so much of that right now. Um, there was then too. Was yeah. it? Okay. Yeah, it
1: seemed like this, It was always the salesman, the head salesman. Right.
0: They bring so, you something they're like make it like
1: this. Yeah. This they literally is literally selling bring the well. garment. Right? right. I want you to knock that off. Yeah. Just oh. make it like this. Oh, absolutely. Okay. And then you find a cheaper fabric. And, and you know, there were years that I worked for. I remember talking to the guy who had the mill in North Carolina okay. where I worked at the studio in New York the sales office and I had my design studio yeah. and I would go down once or every two months and I don't know how I did but one year I convinced him I had to go to Paris <laughs> I just need Fred. to go I, you know, I'll get a lot of ideas I, I, trend research, it's really cutting out, you've got to see and I think me. the only reason he let me go is the the son-in-law who was sort of running the business, the the owner was really very old. Yeah, he uh, he wanted to go to Paris with oh, his wife.
0: Oh, so, you, you, so did you
1: guys go? Yeah, we went. Oh. We went. I don't. I think I met him once or twice. Yeah. And I did do. I mean, I you know, it's so you know what it's like when you go and you if you're in the fashion industry and you go to Paris in the eighties, no, it would be the seventies, and it was like, oh, you know, and London. That was just when everything was happening in London with the Beatles and all you know, a Carnaby Street and all that yeah. stuff, and to go to London, you know. And, I, you know, and I remember the days when I, when I worked in the garment center and, you know, people were just starting to be more free in their dress. And I remember I had a, a leather long coat, a midi coat calf length that was big then, yeah. leather, and then I had a pair of leather shorts. And I would go to work in those, and my boss would be like, oh, my God. Or I'd go down to the factory dressed like that. Yeah. And he couldn't, you know, how, how could you dress like that? And, you know, in skirts and high... Those were just... start. And then, you know, the whole 60s revolution, the 60s and 70s, you know, where people were wearing, you know, your tie-dyed and all that stuff. It was, you know, it was the very beginning, I think, of a lot more freedom of style and dress and acceptance of... It didn't have to be your little gloves and purse and your handbag. So, like, dainty and formal. Right. You know, yeah. there was starting to become a lot more freedom in yeah. clothing.
0: When did you start coloring your hair all fun colors?
1: Last time I saw you, it was, like, fuchsia I was purple. purples, yeah. I, this, I just went blue last week. I, yeah. You know, about... I colored my hair since I was in my 20s. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. I colored yeah, yeah, yeah. just colored because it was starting to get gray. And okay, you're but, like, natural 30. color. Natural color. Okay. And then... In my 40s, I said, you know, it's a really pretty shade of pepper and salt. I'm not going to stop coloring it. Yeah. But then in about six or seven years, it was more salt than pepper. So okay. I covered it. I started coloring it all up until about seven or eight years ago. and okay. I it was mainly the color was driving me crazy. The, yeah. It was hurting my scalp so i stopped coloring my hair and after about two years i got tired of being a little old white haired lady because people look at you differently when yeah. your hair is white but i liked having white hair and uh, i just started putting funky colors in it so this is only a few years recent yeah about three years now
0: okay it's so fun
1: yeah that yeah. makes it. I, I don't feel like a little old lady with yeah. white hair
0: well i remember just a little backstory too for the listeners we met at an art class Um, doing some encaustic painting over the weekend and I remember I came home and I said to my husband I go I met the most amazing lady she's got hot pink hair and I'm going to bring her on the podcast and she's going to talk about all about her history and the fashion I just know she has so many cool stories of like working in New York way back and like what it was like and how it was different so um, no and and I think I would have resonated just as well had your hair been white but I was still like oh and she's
1: so sassy she's got this
0: pink hair I
1: I said I I make it more enjoyable yeah because as you get older You don't really feel older.
0: Yeah. Like you
1: look at somebody who's my age and, well, she's pretty old. I met her, she's really cool, but she's old. (laughs) Well, when you're old, you don't feel like you're old. That's so good to hear that. Yeah. So so putting the color in my hair just sort of keeps me a little younger. Yeah, actually,
0: I'm still young at heart. Right, right, right.
1: But I mean, you know. And, I, I mean, I still, I don't have, none of my friends are working anymore. They've all retired from yes. their fashion jobs. Yeah. But most of them are, do art things and do interesting things.
0: Yeah. So I know you had mentioned when you moved from Chicago to New York, there was a, um, when you graduated, there was thirteen people, right? And you said about half of them
1: had already gone to New York or had jobs, right? So are those some, some of those people you like still friends with today? Oh this yeah, day? My and, like, one good friend I still see her. She she lived in New York up and she actually ran a business up until four years ago. She would fashion fashion. She designed mostly sweaters for private label. Okay, you know, sacks, You know, like a lot of company, a lot of stores have their own private label. Yep. And um, I think STEM is like Nordstrom's private label. That's their own label. Yeah. So they would hire somebody like my girlfriend who had access to fabrics and manufacturing in... in, in and she did in China, most of it. Yeah. And they would say... Make this for us, or she would show them, I can, or make me something. This is what I need. And she'd say, "Okay, I can make A, B, or C." And up until about five years ago, she she did that. It it just it got to be too much work. Yeah, she left New York, so she was like, I think she was the last person who of my good friends who stayed in the industry as long as she did. But all of you like had a good run. Oh yeah, all of us. So all of us, there was about five of us and I said one girl lives in Israel okay. and she actually designed clothing you know she, nobody's designing anymore okay. but all of them designed well into their late 50s at okay. least yeah maybe had a good 60s career yeah seven, not not quite 70 they Yeah, but okay yeah do you miss it uh i miss you know i love i had a wonderful time the years i was in new york when my husband and i left we were both you know, every weekend you get out of new york right in the summer, we went to the Hamptons. In the winter, we went skiing. So our life was getting out of New York. And I said to my ex-husband, who was a cop in New York, okay. I think we should try someplace else. Yeah. And he wouldn't move to California because he's still assured it's going to fall into the ocean. <laughs> and we were both skiers. And I said, well, why don't we try Colorado? You know? and um so
0: that was just like kind of random you didn't we had no family there here? no yeah I, and
1: i didn't want to go back to chicago i didn't want to live in chicago okay and both of us were really t- we weren't i love being in the city but we weren't we were always trying to get out of the city okay yeah and uh so we left in you said 79 we moved yeah. here in 79 yeah and both of us are still here, not together, but, you yeah. know, he stayed and worked. He had a successful contracting business, and, yeah. you know, I did my fashion stuff. And then I—my last—then my daughter went to a private school, uh-huh. and I was, a, of course, a volunteer. And then I started doing—they asked me one day, you know, you you know everybody at school, and you worked on all these events. Why don't you come into the development office? So I did fundraising for, like—that was my last career. Oh, Okay. Yeah. And then before that, before I did that, I did work in an art gallery for a few years. Oh, right. You had said that. Right.
0: Do you miss, like, working in the fashion industry or, like, sketching or
1: anything? No, because I do my painting. Yeah, true. You You do do all sorts of other artistic stuff. And that that was my big regret nowadays, that I wish when I went to art school, I didn't just do fashion, because it was all a fashion curriculum. Oh, interesting. You know, pattern making and textiles and... Illustration. There, we did not do regular art courses, oh. and I would be a much better painter now if I had had that background. You know, yeah. the the knowledge that I've gotten these past few years of just painting. Yeah, I mean, at least you're exploring it now, though. I think.
0: Yeah. yeah. And not I have- everybody has the the sort of go out and do stuff mindset that you that you do at a certain age. I see some people. Have, uh, you're.
1: Do you mind? Seventy-six. Seventy-six. I was seventy-six and yesterday. You're just, and you're just
0: amazing. I mean, right. you're just like all full of energy, and you're like, go and you do stuff. But, but you I, know, you have to. You'll you'll you'll, you'll, you'll see do, someday like,
1: you'll be old.
0: <laughs> well, I'm getting there. Thirty-seven
1: almost. Oh, um, well, I remember um, when, got, when I turned forty. I've got 40. the
0: the salt and pepper happening already, and I refuse to diet. Um, I've done the hot pink and all the stuff, and I'm out of that phase for a minute. But um, but I see people your age that are like, I think they just. They would never go and do that like weekend art class where we met.
1: Right, right. Um, they just maybe I don't know. They just I think, well, I think it's never it's, too I late. Think, you just I just do th- it. I think it's never too late, and I think I think it's everybody's individual people. True. You know, people. Some people just uh, I'm too tired. It's too because as you get older, going out and doing th- there's always something aching. <laughs> like I, I have this book on hold at the library. I'm waiting to read. It's called. Uh, Rowing upstream, dealing with life in your seventies. Oh my gosh! And I think you know, it's it's you know just because most most of my friends actually are ten years younger than I am because okay. I didn't have my daughter till I was forty three. Okay. So I was about ten years older than everybody, all the other parents, and those are, are my friends. Yeah. So I'm sort of the old one in the group, but it keeps me younger because they're yeah. still you know dealing. They're not dealing with as many things as a few friends of mine that are my age or older yeah. are dealing with. Yeah. And I think it's exciting. You know, it's real easy to sit back and not do anything. It sure is. yeah you know, just to watch TV and stay home. And I think the more you try to do, and sometimes you have to, I think as you get older, you have to force yourself. I it's be, easy to fall into that comfortable
0: yeah. rut of like not doing much. I'm just a little I think like at, at any very stage in your life, I think you can go through that. And you sometimes have to be like, Okay, I should maybe get out of the house a little bit more. I should, I mean, I work from home, and believe me, I sometimes feel it. It's like, like oh,
1: I'll just, I don't want to do anything today. Or, yeah. No, it's, it, so, it, you know. And you're like going to yoga, it's amazing. Well, I think you have to, but, and, and I mean, I think I also, I love going in the store. I don't need to shop as much. I'm not a big shopper, but I love to see the way things evolve. And it's like having worked in the industry, you more, you have a better idea of why things are in the store or why they are not.
0: Yeah. And then
1: sometimes I look in the store and I said, This is such crap. And not even, you know like my biggest rant these days is I could never find a, any under lingerie not lingerie, nightwear that I like. I think most of it's terrible. They're like sleepwear. sleepwear. Like you actually want to sleep
0: in it. Yeah. But okay. you want
1: to sleep in it. You know, I'm yeah. usually finding a t shirt someplace and a pair of leggings and that's what I sleep in because I can't find anything What would you want to find? I don't know. Like some oh, interesting. it's like interesting. You don't set. even know what it I'd is, like to but see a bunch of like now you see these little pajama sets. Yeah. Well, I'd like to see pajama tops and and pants or shorts that I could put them together and have my own little. You don't want to buy the set that's like all plaid, like, or like the all Soma stuff prints with like little fun shoes on it. I mean they're and cute, but, but you, you know, like And also yeah. too, today women, you're not the same size on top as the bottom. Oh, right. So you want to be able to mix and match. You want to be able to mix and match. And People, I just, do you hear this? <laughs> right, right. I, really, I Every time I go, I, it's like, maybe I, every once in a while I'll find a top I like. And then I'll just... Like, I found this great top I liked, this pajama top. It was sort of to the knee. And I like to have something on my legs. So I have a pair of old thin leggings, and that's what I wear with it. Yeah. Because it looks cute together, but it's comfortable.
0: And it works. But, but
1: I, you know, these nightwear outfits or this lingerie, I mean... Not that many women wear fancy lingerie. It's not comfortable. It isn't. It isn't. <laughs> so anyway, so but it's so I think having the fashion background when you look in the stores and it's you see different. what's going on, yeah, it's different.
0: What do you see as like some of the biggest changes from, you know, what you're seeing in the market when you? I mean, I know t-shirts were a big boom when you
1: were first working for what was it? Shirt smart Tee. No, in nineteen sixty. That was nineteen sixty. It was still 1964. It might have been 1965 when I started okay. working with them. Okay, gotcha. There were no, as I said, there were no T-shirts yeah. other than undershirts. But
0: you made the comment, like, you know, you're out on the market today, and, like, you, 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 there are certain categories that have exploded, and, um, and some of the stuff you're like, oh, it's just, like, crap. Like, what are some of the well, other you, differences I think everything seeing?
1: is separate these days, unless yeah. you buy dresses. Okay. You know, everything is separate. You do not see... If you find a pant you like, you, either, you, don't even get, you don't even think about you. But I like that pant, I'll get it. And eventually you find a shirt or something that you like wearing. Or you have it. like
0: a solid white or solid black yeah. or something. I mean, just I think works.
1: what I see more that I didn't see, and I would say well into probably the whole time, it, 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 well into the 70s, everything was coordinated. You, people think more now. And they have more a sense of style uh, and the consumer does the consumer does, and she's not doesn't have to be told what to wear so interesting I mean the, and the women who are left who need to be told what to wear go to a store that there's a salesperson to say, "Oh, will you like that? Let me show you put this, this they go, with this. They put it together.
0: Oh, but back when you were designing it was a lot more that. The brand was doing that for you, right. and then it was presented, and it was even purchased that way. It
1: was, or they the, actually sold the buyer, as like one unit. Yeah, the buy. No, the buyers would buy. They would, the company I worked for, the big California junior sportswear manufacturer, that was really, as I said, the biggest in the country. Yeah, they would present a line, uh, a group. They were groups, so they would have a group, uh, the the red group, and they would. They might have three different bottomwear fab. They might have. A corduroy, they might have a, a cotton duck. They might have um, a knit wear bottoms in it. Then they would have your choice of ta- uh, jackets and vests. And then you would have you could wear. They'd have a t-shirt with it. They'd have a couple blouses with it. They'd have a couple sweaters with it. But basically, you could pick
0: one of each type of garment and mix and match. And depending and you have on, all these on the store's
1: outfits. customer, they would buy. Some stores would just buy. One bottom of somebody sure. buy a skirt, you know, the the buyers would put together the groups, and you would go into the store, and there would be a rounder or a rack with all the different pieces of this one group completely coordinated. Yeah. So you could pick three or four pieces from it, and then just know that this right. is what goes together. You wouldn't see a dress in that fabric now. Yeah. Today, you might see a skirt, a pant, or dress in the same fabric by the same manufacturer. Yeah. Because they have to do it to, to buy enough fabric to make it you know cost effective
0: you're one of the first people i've ever talked to who uses the word manufacturer technically appropriately or accurately do you know (laughs) what i'm talking about i didn't so i i had one of my past guests um, is what does she specifically refer to herself as a um cut and sew production facility she's the factory she cuts and she's the manufacturer but she's not okay no it's in there you just used it differently so she, it, she um, and I did a little Googling on some of this terminology because I was like, whoa. So technically, the manufacturer is the person that is designing and paying for the goods to be made. Right. So she's not designing and paying for the goods to be made. She is being contracted out as a service provider to oh. do the production. Oh, she's the manufacturer is the actual brand that is, like, responsible for the clothes at the end of the day. And so he's saying
1: to her, I want 15, I want this. She's not designing them at all. No, she's just a factory. She's cutting she, and sewing. Okay. And she's
0: completely independent. But, like, for example, so many people, um, and I'm guilty myself, but, like, will say, you know, they, it's, the, the brand is located in New York City um no matter how big or small they are and let's say they send production overseas to china right and everybody says um oh the manufacturer the manufacturer the manufacturer referring to the factory in china when in reality the manufacturer is that company in new york city they are outsourcing to right they're paying for everything
1: correct um they're buying the goods but they're sending it to a factory to to make it for them
0: correct and the factory is not the manufacturer but everybody's Calls it
1: that, mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah. Pretty no, much everybody does.
0: But then you just used it. Um, what did you say? You said something. I don't know. You said it, and you said it in reference to like the manufacturer would put together these like right. collections, right? The, yeah. But like today, no, most people wouldn't say that. And so it's just yeah, was, oh, it yeah was, I, I, know what, I caught yeah, we, you that you used it, air quote, correctly for right. the books. Um, right. But yeah. and maybe it's a
1: generational thing. It might be, but you. Know, know. It was. Yeah, you know, things were very different then. You know what yeah. was presented, and I think, as I said, a lot of it has to do with the sophistication of the consumer yeah. and their desire to be different. Yeah. You know, in the '60s and '70s, you want did not want to be different. You want to just blend in. You want to blend, You want to be dressed and and act the way everybody did, and I really do think in the '70s when people started, you know, all the Aquarius days and all of that time, and people started protesting. They wanted to be different and became more acceptable to be different. Yeah, and I think that's what changed things a lot. Yeah, they didn't want to be the same.
0: Yeah, I love it. Oh, you've seen so many fun things and have such a great it keeps perspective. Changing. Yeah, it's so cool. Really, really fun to get to like hear your whole story and everything, um, and just. Get a little glimpse into like what it was like. What it was like in the
1: olden days.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's so cool. Um, Well, thank you so much for the chat. I uh, I have a question I will ask. I ask at the end of every interview. Mm -hmm. Um, What is one thing people never ask you about having worked in fashion that you wish they would?
1: Hmm. I don't think most people really understand fashion and how, how the goods get to the store. Mm. I don't think people have any idea of how that happens. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's there, you know, they've heard of designers today. I think more people, well, who did you design for? Or would I know your name? And in the years that I worked, there were very few designers that you knew their name. It was the big, the House of Dior and lanvin and all those people. That's what you heard about. You did not hear, you know, names. Like, you go in the store and, you know, there's 50 different rounders and it's different designer names, you know, when you think about it, for the most part. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I really don't, I can't think of anything that people would ask me. People just think, oh, it's cool, you were a designer in New York. Oh, what was that like? You know, yeah. They. I,
0: I don't know. Yeah, but they don't. It's interesting. Yeah, because I think that like they don't ever think about the process of like how does it go from this like sketch to this finished garment. You yeah, don't just like make it. I think just people like, just sort of think it. it just
1: happens. You know. So I don't. I, I, I really don't feel like. I don't even talk about being a fashion designer very often. You, you know.
0: don't? No. It came up in our art class. I, you, well, because she
1: was asking you know, how you got into it. Yeah. She did. Yeah, That's yeah, about yeah. the only time it comes and up. And I think and, I perked up when you said that. Oh, I was like, oh, I, do that I too. want to talk to her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I admire the way what you do now and the way you've approached it. But I don't think it's not that uncommon. You know, people have a different path to fashion in these days than they did when I was there. Yeah. You know, I think it was a whole different, as, as I described a whole different mindset. And today it's more a matter of, Oh, I like doing this. I'm going to do this. I mean, why did you leave New York and come to Denver?
0: Well, it's almost vice versa. We were in Denver and we decided to go to New York for a year long adventure. That turned into a three year adventure. And then three years was good. And we came back, but I have always done my fashion stuff. Uh, I mean, I did start working for a brand in Denver. That was how I kind of kickstarted my career. Um, And then I did freelance and contract work for about a decade, and I did that all remote. Even when I was in New York, I wasn't working with brands in New York.
1: Yeah. Um, My husband and I just went out there for an adventure. When I graduated school in 1964, if you wanted to be a fashion designer, you had to go... New York you really should go to, yeah. second choice might be LA. I remember yeah. one guy uh, went to Dallas because Dallas. yeah was, Dallas.
0: Uh-huh. And actually, I mm-hmm. think
1: he he did work in Dallas for years, yeah you know, and got had a very good career. Yeah. But for the most part, you couldn't do it. You could I couldn't have gone. I mean, yeah, if I wanted to design brassieres, I could have stayed in Chicago. yeah but for the most part, it would be very hard to have a fashion career anywhere outside out of, of the, these few big cities. You know, yeah. it would be a different kind of career. It wouldn't have gotten to maybe. I I think it would more just be loving hands at home, and yeah, you know, yeah. It wouldn't be anything as exciting as you you seem to have done. Yeah. With your career.
0: I mean, I've done a lot of golf and active and lifestyle apparel. Like, I've not done any like runway awesome big fashion type of stuff. I never so, did either. <laughs> no, right. And I think, I think that's actually a misconception that, like, if you want to go into fashion, like, you're going to get to do all this, like, Fabulous really glamorous, yeah. right? And it's like, at the end of the day, most of it is everyday clothes for everyday people. It's kind of what I always say. I'm like, there's so, and there's so many brands out there it's now, especially outside of new york uh-huh. um, and i it's funny because i've talked to people who have lived and worked in new york for 20 years and they're like i'm terrified to leave because what am i going to do what am i going like, to do and i'm like there's a lot of things to do in other places that aren't new york well, there's a lot of brands but but today to- too
1: it's much easier to work remotely you don't have to be in new york there's a lot more Correct. Almost anything you need is available to you here in Denver. And it's all, and everything's digital. Yeah. Right. So it, it, it's it's a, it's different. You know, in yeah. those days, you had to be in one of those places yeah. to, to to have a career in fashion. There yeah. wasn't any, you couldn't say, well, I'll just, you know, there was, the Western wear was in Denver probably forever. Yeah. But that was Denver. And it, it was, was Denver. Wear. Right. We're not really a. Cowtown anymore. I feel like We're people, not. we still no. have this stereotype. I mean, I used to when I first moved here in '79. I mean, I get back to New York all the time. Yeah, and for a while, it's like, well, there's almost everything I need, and the food's almost as good, and yeah. you know, and the shopping's yeah, and the
0: prices are almost as high.
1: That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, so lovely to chat with you Judy It's great to talk to you um, I enjoy, this is fun to do yeah super fun is there are you like online anywhere LinkedIn, Instagram, no, anything no. no okay usually the listeners that. like to connect to people but if that's not your game I they can game, t- I totally you can get forward it. to me okay <laughs> they can, so, they can, if they have any questions if anyone wants to reach out um, yeah. shoot me an email and I'll forward it on to Judy so awesome so lovely to chat thank you so much for coming over and doing the show oh it was a lot of fun I was flattered Oh Thank you, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Judy, for the awesome, awesome gab. It was really fun to do this in person at my home in Denver. And I also want to say thank you so much to my husband, Mark, who handles all of the tech and editing and makes the show possible, as well as my right-hand SFD team member, Saya. She makes sure each episode gets published and delivered to you on time and that all the resources and everything is linked correctly. She really does so much behind the scenes. You guys have no idea. So thank you. Thank you so much, Saya. Also, thank you to each of you for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. I'll remind you, the podcast is powered by you. We have no ads, no sponsors, no affiliates of any kind. So if you enjoy the show, the best way to support us is by leaving a review at sfdnetwork.com slash review or just scroll down where you're listening on iTunes right now. Again, you can check out any of the resources mentioned in this episode by scrolling down to view the show notes wherever you're listening. Thanks so much again, you guys. And I'll talk to you in the next Successful Fashion Designer podcast episode.